a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And once again, I welcome you to the show. Let's revel in wrong things, shall we? Our program is brought to you in part today by our friends at Jeff Staples Real Estate, also the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. I hope you'll take the time. If you or someone you know need what these sponsors have to offer, I ask you, please do business with them. And as you hand them the money, make sure you tell them, I'm doing this because I heard Brian talk about you. Let them know that their message reached your ears. Got a lot of interesting stuff to cover today. And and again, I feel like I'm walking this tightrope between giving you solid information, timely information, and hopefully something that's useful in helping you better understand the world around you and at the same time is empowering and gives you a, an opportunity to, to feel that sense of personal responsibility to step up and essentially make the difference you were born to make. But here's the flip side. There's always some bad news that goes along with it. And so I always feel like I'm risking feeding someone's fears or otherwise, uh, you know, giving them information that, uh, that could cause despair. So bear with me as, as I try to walk that fine line between informative and inspiring and terrifying. Because there's a lot of stuff going on right now that is just really unsettling. In fact, a story that a friend sent to me yesterday... This is from Robert Wheeler, posted on The Organic Prepper. This one left me more unsettled than anything I've read within the last couple of weeks, and there's been a lot of really crazy stuff in the last couple of weeks. The title, Election War Games, A New America Waits in the Wings After Pre-Planned Chaos. Now look, I think most people, at least, you know, anybody who's paying attention, is feeling a little bit nervous about the upcoming election. As I read this article, I'm thinking that nervousness may be pretty well justified. Because it appears that in the name of, well, we were just wargaming possible election outcomes to see, you know, how, how could we make sure that it's a smooth transition and everything. It sounds to me like there are some people actually priming the pump for a transition to what they call a new America. And while that doesn't sound very, you know, concerning, well, so what, you know, well, it's a, green, it's a green new deal. It's, you know, there's always something new. What they're actually doing is possibly setting the stage for something along the lines of, oh, I don't know, um, 1917 Tsarist Russia. <laughs> How about uh, 1979 Tehran, Iran, or 1789 in France? Yeah got to be kind of careful sometimes things that uh, that were meant for the best of purposes and intentions can get really crazily out of control and this kind of has that sense of have they thought through what they're trying to do the article talks about what's called the transition integrity project tip which was launched to identify potential risks to the integrity of the november 3rd 2020 election process 
So Tip conducted a series of war games this past summer, exploring what could possibly go wrong regarding the election. And then once those risks were identified, the group conducting these war games hoped to find solutions so they could mitigate those risks. Now, here's where it starts to get interesting. I mean, right off the bat. The simulated war games were conducted by a group of Democratic Party insiders, former Obama and Clinton officials, and a number of never-Trumpers. Tip justified these exercises as preparation for a Trump loss and a subsequent refusal by Trump to concede the election. I think Paul Craig Roberts, among others, has uh, floated this possibility. I believe we mentioned this a few weeks ago on the show about a possible coup in the making. Now, again, they were just wargaming it, just, you know, trying to see, well, what would we do if this happened? But as Robert Wheeler points out here, he says, uh, Tip's report published on August 3rd shows a different story. And there's a link to the report if you want to check this out for yourself. I really recommend that you do. And Robert Wheeler says, in light of this and other studies, no matter where you live, he says, we suggest getting your home ready for the potential of civil unrest and riots and stocking up on emergency food and supplies. Now, I want to stop right here for a moment. Don't go into panic mode, okay? This is not the moment to go into fight or flight. This is just to understand there may be something taking place just out of sight, just off stage. You'd be better for knowing about it because you actually have the opportunity right now. There's a brief window of opportunity between now and the election to better prepare yourself, to better um, fortify your personal situation. And I don't think just physical preps are the only kind of fortification that we're talking about here. I think emotionally, you got to be prepared for bad news, you know, for things not going the way you hope that they would go. I think uh, mentally, we've got to have the resilience to be able to carry on in the face of hardship or, you know, or loss. And I think spiritually is probably the most important of all. I've said for a long time, and I don't excuse myself from from the need for this, but the thing that this country has needed more than anything, in my opinion, is humility. And I think that our humbling is, is going to come one way or another. I think it's better if it's something we voluntarily do ourselves. If we humble ourselves, I believe that is, uh, that's the key to unlocking um, the, the help of, of you know, divine intervention. And I believe the founding generation felt this way too. If we have to wait until we are humbled, if we have to be compelled to be humble, I'm not saying God doesn't love us. I'm just saying it's, it's so much better if we voluntarily do it ourselves and, and turn to him for help as opposed to uh, stubbornly holding on to the bitter end and, and refusing to be humble. But mark my words, a humbling approacheth. It does. And I don't say that with any sense of satisfaction because it's going to humble me just as much as it's going to humble anybody else. Better to get a head start on it. Let's talk about this article here. On the tip site, it states the goal of this project was to ensure that the outcome of the 2020 presidential election was legitimate. But the ties with the Obama administration and pro-Biden group raises the concern that this group is actually planning to ensure that the crisis they claim to be attempting to prevent 
with the simulations. In other words, they may be actually manipulating the outcome of the elections. Whitney Webb writes in an article published on Unlimited Hangout, according to TIP's own documents, even their simulations involving a clear win for Trump in the upcoming election still precipitate a constitutional crisis as they predicted that the Biden campaign would make bold moves aimed at securing the presidency regardless of the election result. Now, Whitney's article goes on to explain that the organizers of TIP have ties to the Obama administration, several pro-Biden groups, as well as the Biden campaign. And that's particularly troubling. Whitney writes, The fact that a group of openly pro-Biden Washington insiders and former government officials have gamed out scenarios for possible election outcomes and their aftermath all of which either ended with Biden becoming president or a constitutional crisis, suggests that powerful forces influencing the Biden campaign are pushing the former vice president to refuse to concede the election, even if he loses. This is consistent with what Paul Craig Roberts was reporting a few weeks ago. And the article goes on to say such concerns are only magnified by the recent claims made by Hillary Clinton that Biden, quote, should not concede under any circumstances, end quote. Clinton continued during an interview with Showtime, I think this is going to drag out and eventually I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch and if we are as focused and relentless as the other side is. So what are some of the examples of these simulated war games? I'll just give you a couple of them here. Uh, Game 3, Clear Trump win, simulated not only how Republicans could use every option at their disposal to hold on to power, but also how Democrats could do so if the 2020 election result is not in their favor. Joe Biden, played by John Podesta, retracted his election night concession and convinced three states with Democratic governors, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and Michigan, to ask for recounts. Then, the governors of Wisconsin and Michigan sent separate slates of electors to counter those sent by the state legislature to the Electoral College, which Trump had won in an attempt to undermine that win. Now, then Biden encouraged Western states to secede from the union unless congressional Republicans agreed to a set of structural reforms. You see where this is headed? And with those reforms, (laughs) or with advice from former President Obama... The Biden campaign listed out the reforms that they were seeking. We'll we'll touch on those when we continue just the other side of these messages. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Fantastic people, the best people that you can talk to if you are in the market for a home mortgage, either for a new home or maybe refinancing your existing mortgage. Or if you're just going to go home shopping, this is what I think is cool. You can get pre-qualified. You just need to get in touch with my friend John Staples and his lovely wife, Heather, And you can do that by going to staplesmortgage.com. It's that simple. All the contact information is there. They will take it from there. Keep in mind, Patriot Home Mortgage is active in 23 different states. So wherever you're hearing my voice, there's a very good chance that they can help you. staplesmortgage.com. 
Again, that's John Staples and Heather Staples. They are the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. So I'm sharing with you one of the most interesting and possibly disturbing articles that I've come across in the last couple of weeks. And I'm and as someone who is, is pretty much, you know, searching for interesting things to talk about every moment of every day, that's saying something. But this is about election war games in a group, uh, a group called TIPS. TIPS standing for the Transition Integrity Project that wargamed some different scenarios, all of which seemed to end with either creating a constitutional crisis or somehow procuring a win for Joe Biden. Now, they say, we only did this to make sure that, you know, we're, we're examining, you know, where the election process could break down or where there could be some inconsistencies. Just want to make sure everything goes smoothly. But then you look at some of the things that they're suggesting. Game three, the clear Trump win, played out the idea that uh, Joe Biden, played by John Podesta, retracts his election night concession, convinces three states with Democratic governors, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and Michigan, to ask for recounts. Then the governors of Wisconsin and Michigan sent separate slates of electors to counter those sent by the state legislature to the Electoral College, which Trump had won in an attempt to undermine that win. And then the Biden campaign encouraged Western states to secede from the union unless the congressional Republicans agreed to a set of structural reforms. Now, with with advice from former President Obama, these are the reforms the Biden campaign listed. Number one, give statehood to Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. Number two, divide California into five states to more accurately represent its population in the Senate. Number three, require Supreme Court justices to retire at 70. And number four, eliminate the Electoral College. Wow. Gee, I wonder how that would work out. You see, these structural reforms would lead to the U.S. having six additional states. And these six new states would ensure a perpetual majority for Democrats because only Democrat-majority areas are the ones being given statehood. Notably, in other scenarios where Biden won the Electoral College, Democrats did not support its elimination. Now, the tip claimed that the Trump campaign would seek to paint these provocative actions or provocative unprecedented actions as the Democrats attempting to orchestrate an illegal coup, despite the fact that that's essentially what these actions entail. The Biden campaign provoked a breakdown in the joint session of Congress by getting the House of Representatives to agree to award the presidency to Biden. The Republican Party did not consent, noting that Trump had won the election through the electoral electoral college victory. So what did that scenario end up with? Well, this simulation ended with no president-elect being inaugurated on January 20th. I think that would throw things into a bit of disarray, wouldn't you agree? So who are the people involved in TIP, and who are they associated with? Well, the article says that TIP was founded by Rosa Brooks and Nils Gilman. Its current director is Zoe Hudson. The article written by Webb reveals that Brooks was an advisor to the Pentagon and the Hillary Clinton-led State Department during the Obama administration. Now, she was also previously the general counsel to the president of the Open Society Institute, which is affiliated with the Open Society's foundation, Open Society Foundations, rather. Uh, Zoe Hudson also has ties to OSF, serving as a senior policy analyst and liaison between the foundations and the U.S. government for 11 years. 
Now, Webb writes, OSF ties to tip are a red flag for a number of reasons, but namely due to the fact that OSF and other Soros-funded organizations played a critical role in fomenting the so-called color revolutions to overthrow non-aligned governments, particularly during the Obama administration. Examples of those ties to these manufactured to these manufactured revolutions include Ukraine back in 2014 and the Arab Spring, which started in 2011, and saw several governments in the Middle East and North Africa that were troublesome to Western inst- interests conveniently removed from power. Now, as reported by Nils, by Webb, rather, Nils Gilman, co-founder of TIP and the current VP of programs at the Bergeron Institute, is particularly focused on artificial intelligence and transhumanism. Gilman recently told the New York Times his work at the Bergeron Institute is focused on building a transnational network of philosophers plus technologists plus policymakers plus artists who are thinking about how AI and gene editing are transfiguring what it means to be human. Playing God, perhaps? I don't know. does sound kind of curious. Is there a list of TIP participants? Well, this question is taken directly from the TIP website. Here's the answer given. To ensure candid contributions, the Transition Integrity Projects exercises were conducted under Chatham House rules, under which participants were free to talk about their own role in the exercises and their general observations but were asked to respect the confidentiality of other participants. Some of our participants have chosen to write or give interviews about their experiences during the exercise, however. And you can see some examples below. There are links to this. So you have people like Ed Luce, Max Boot, Jennifer Granholm, David Frum, Rosa Brooks, and Nils Gilman. But as the unofficial unofficial tip spokesman claims, there is reason to be worried. Because he's not, though he's not even mentioned in the list, Lawrence Wilkerson has been the most outspoken of all of the participants. He's done most of the media interviews promoting TIP and its war games. Wilkerson said in an interview in June with Paul Jay that aside from their war games, the other TIP activities are confidential. Specifically, here's what he said. There is some confidentiality about what we agreed to and what we put out publicly and who's responsible for that and other aspects of our doing that. The Transition Integrity Project is, to this point, very, very close, whole, and confidential. End quote. Now, in that same interview, Wilkerson also noted that the current combination of events involving the recent unrest in several U.S. cities, the coronavirus crisis, the national debate over the future of policing, the economic recession, and the 2020 election, was the foundation for a revolution in the U.S. He told Jay, quote, I want to say this is how things like 1917 and Russia, like 1979 and Tehran, and like, 19, and like 1789 in France, this is how these sorts of things get started. So we've got to be very careful about how we deal with these things. And that worries me because we don't have a very careful individual in the White House. End quote. Now, Robert Wheeler says that last quote is chilling. Because America is indeed heading in the direction of direction of Russia in 1917. I don't know if you recall, but that revolution saw the death of 70 million people. So where is all of this headed and who benefits from these scenarios? Webb talks about uh, the question becomes who benefits from complete chaos on and following the 2020 election. As Tip suggested in several of their simulations, the post-election exercise role of the military in terms of domestic policing 
policing, rather. Incidentally, the exact expertise of TIPS co-founder Rosa Brooks looms large, as most of the aforementioned doomsday election simulations, and with the imposition of martial law. Hmm. Or at least the military stepping in to resolve order and oversee the transition. I'll encourage you to check it out for yourself and see what the article says. It will be posted in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianhydeshow.com. These are show notes for October 16th, 2020. By keeping Americans angry and distracted... Through the partisan divide, through pre-planned election chaos, a new America waits in the wings. Don't say that we weren't warned. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. So I've laid out a couple of kind of chilling things in the first couple of segments this hour. And for those of you who are reaching for your anxiety meds, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm trying to tell the truth as best I know it. I think this is something worth keeping an eye on. So let me share something a little more positive and hopefully uh, something that, that will lift your spirits just a little bit. Um, We'll shift gears here momentarily. Um, When was the best time to plant a tree? Assuming you want to enjoy some shade right now, when should that tree be planted? You know, the answer is, of course, 20 years ago. So with that mentality in mind, or with that wisdom in mind, the time to teach the principles of liberty and free markets, well, (laughs) it was uh, more than 20 years ago, but uh, the answer is it's now. Especially when it comes to teaching young people the promise of entrepreneurship or, or entrepreneurship rather and free market capitalism. This is an article from Carrie McDonald. I found this on the uh, Foundation for Economic Education's website. And I think this is one that uh, may be really worth your time. Carrie McDonald has, uh, of course, she, she has, has led out in terms of educational choice and, and talking about unschooling children. But I really like her take. It's very principled. And in this case, she's talking about helping kids get their minds around the basics of why free markets, well, we'll call it capitalism, but understand we're talking free markets, free enterprise, why this is a good thing. She says, the attack on capitalism in favor of socialism began well before COVID-19, but it has accelerated over the past half year amidst the economic and social upheaval of pandemic lockdowns. In fact, she says, a quick Google News search of the word capitalism reveals a gush of recent attacks, including the New York Times headline that capitalism is broken and CNN's proclamation that capitalism isn't working anymore. The World Economic Forum has called for a great reset of capitalism. Even the Pope was bad-mouthing it last week. Now, these criticisms, she says, are not only misguided, but potentially, or they're potentially devastating. Hobbling capitalism, particularly at a time of economic decline, driven by cascades of government orders, will ensure a much longer and more severe economic recovery, harming the least advantaged the most. Free market capitalism, she writes, is the greatest generator of personal and economic freedom, prosperity, and progress the world has ever known. Defending capitalism from its naysayers 
and teaching its benefits to the rising generation are more important now than ever before. And Carrie McDonald goes on to say in England, education officials recently banned school curriculum and teaching materials from anti-capitalism organizations. But she says the virtues of free market capitalism shouldn't need to be protected or promulgated by government mandate because they win on their own merits. So her point is it's up to parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles and other adult family members to remind younger generations why capitalism works, why socialism always fails. In their classrooms and communities, through social media and popular websites, young people are increasingly inundated with images and messaging, steering them towards socialism and away from capitalism. They hear that socialism helps people while capitalism harms them, when history shows the exact opposite is true. Families need to retake responsibility for their children's education, including setting the record straight about why capitalism outshines socialism. Kerry McDonald says, indeed, the pandemic and its remote Zoom schooling may offer families a closer look at what their children are actually learning, including curriculum and teaching materials such as those from the New York Times 1619 Project that are hostile toward capitalism and that some scholars have challenged as false. This can be an opportunity for parents, grandparents, and other loved ones to offer a counter-narrative to young people in defense of capitalism. And I love how from here she shifts into, look, the, the basics of this come down to consent over coercion. I think that's something that kids can pretty easily understand. She says, according to a 2019 Gallup survey, millennials and Gen Zers, two age cohorts representing Americans under age 40, now find socialism as appealing as capitalism. Now, this is a dramatic change in just one decade. In 2010, about two-thirds of young adults viewed capitalism more favorably than socialism. Another recent survey conducted by YouGov found a similar souring of capitalism in favor of socialism among young people. This poll revealed that 70% of millennials said they were likely to vote for a socialist political candidate. Now, Carrie McDonald says, fortunately, Americans over age 40 consistently view capitalism as superior to socialism. Although Gallup indicates that the popularity of socialism has edged upwards in these older age cohorts as well. Gen Xers and baby boomers must step up to remind younger generations of the failures of socialist ideology and the promise of free market capitalism and to remember these truths ourselves. She says not too long ago she posted something about socialism on her Facebook page and a person commented that she looked up the definition of socialism in an online dictionary and was pleased with its meaning. Quote, a political and economic theory of social organization which advocates that the means of production, distribution, and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. End quote. What's wrong with that, she wondered. After all, shouldn't we all care about our community, share with one another, and hold each other accountable? Carey responded, Why should the community own or regulate my labor or the fruits of my labor? I should own my labor and its fruits. Now, she says, I understand this can sound harsh, greedy, and individualistic, which is why the siren song of socialism is so appealing to so many. Words like community, caring, and sharing appeal to our emotions. But she says, when we take a closer look, the foundation of socialism is coercion. It is forced community, forced caring, forced sharing. 
If a voluntary community such as the private hippie communes of the 1960s decides to gather together and share their labor and its rewards, that is perfectly fine and well within the realm of a free society. Similarly, if an individual decides to volunteer her time and service to her community and give generously to charity, that is also characteristic of a free society. But if a community forces an individual to share and care by owning or regulating her labor and the products of her labor, there's nothing magnanimous about it. It is coercion, plain and simple. She says, unlike socialism, capitalism is based on consent and cooperation. It's a system of voluntary exchange for mutual gain. The same online dictionary mentioned above defines capitalism as an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. In other words, individuals and private enterprises control their own means of production, distribution, and exchange within a capitalist system of social organization. She says, as the renowned economist Thomas Sowell wrote in 2016, socialism always sounds great. It has always sounded great, and it probably will always continue to sound great. It's only when you go beyond the rhetoric and start looking at hard facts that socialism turns out to be a big disappointment, if not a disaster. And so it points to Venezuela to highlight the modern misery of socialism, where the socialist ideals of forced community, sharing, and caring have led to widespread shortages, inefficiencies, famine, poverty, and despair, even as the country's ruling class does just fine. This is the inevitable result of socialism everywhere it has been tried, and it's why only capitalism, despite its imperfections, leads to widespread and prolonged abundance, opportunity, and personal and economic freedom. She says, The hockey stick of human progress demonstrates that for most of human history, up until about 1800, most of us experienced the Hobbesian reality of life as nasty, brutish, and short. Free market capitalism and trade undergirded by classical liberal values that limited government power catapulted human progress and prosperity by creating wealth and vastly improving standards of living for the masses. As economist Donald Boudreaux says in reference to Standard Oil's John D. Rockefeller, nearly every middle-class American today is richer than was America's richest man a mere 100 years ago. Capitalism did this, and it continues to propel us all forward and improve our lives in immeasurable ways, including the poor, who have the most to gain from capitalism. We especially reap the the rewards of capitalism now in the middle of a pandemic. Just imagine how much worse it would be to cope with this pandemic without Zoom and Amazon, let alone life-saving medical technologies and pharmaceuticals. Capitalism did that, too. She says, as media pundits, politicians, and progressive activists escalate their attacks on capitalism and use the pandemic as an opportunity to push toward a socialist agenda, it's up to parents, grandparents, and other bold family members to push back and remind young people that free market capitalism should be celebrated, not smeared. I'm telling you, this this may be the best essay that I have seen all week in that it just lifts my spirits. Carrie McDonald. She is so right about this. And yes, you will find a link to her article in the show notes, which you can access at thebrianheidshow.com. This is one I would recommend sharing as widely as possible. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. Hey, just kind of a quick afterthought here to uh, Carrie McDonald's excellent article about the case for teaching young people the principles and the promise of free market capitalism. Just uh, caught this caught my eye. Um, you've heard about universal basic income, haven't you? Okay, this is this is something that it's it's a pretty utopian idea, but apparently it's something that is is gaining some favor. The idea that hey, you know, with with robots, you know, and artificial intelligence and automation. We're going to reach a point where there just aren't going to be enough jobs. By the way, I don't believe this, but the idea is what can people do for a living when robots are doing all the work for us? And so the idea has been floated, and I think credibly floated by a lot of people, you know, who like run for office and so forth. Well, what we need to do is have a universal basic income. Basically, the government sends you a check every month in return for doing nothing. Now, look, I'm a guy who likes to receive checks with my name on them just as much as the next person. And without 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 having to earn that money, yeah, that uh, that would definitely be an easy way to get things done. Of course, I'm thinking a little bit further than just simply, yeah, 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 give free money, man, free money. Somebody has to create the value associated with that uh, that money. And in this case, basically, what we're doing is we're looting the taxpayers in order to uh, to come up with those funds. So when I see the headline on Reason.com. San Francisco will pay artists $1,000 a month in universal basic income. I'm not going to share the whole article. This is from Christian Britsky, Britsky but uh, the uh, pilot program is intended to assist San Francisco's arts community during the pandemic. And it's drawing both interest and criticism for pro- from proponents of unconditional cash transfers. Now, it's not, you know, every person I know would say, well, I'm an artist. (laughs) Let me grab a piece of cardboard and a can of spray paint. There you go. Where's my $1,000? Apparently, under Mayor London Breed's plan, 130 artists in the city will receive a $1,000 monthly cash stipend for a period of six months starting early next year. Apparently, this is one of several arts-themed policies sourced from the city's Economic Recovery Task Force final report that was released last Thursday, which includes funding for artists to paint murals with a public health theme on boarded-up businesses and deploy performance artists to promote COVID-safe behaviors in high-foot traffic areas. So I guess, in a sense, maybe they're earning this as propagandists, you know, for, for the state. I don't know. But the bottom line is, it's a subsidy. And, and look, I have the greatest love and respect for artists. It's a unique talent, And I believe, look, I'll just lay it on the table. I think real artists should be celebrated for their ability to bring beauty into the world. I understand not all art is beautiful, but but the, the artists that I seem to appreciate the most are the ones who can convey what they're conveying with a sense of doing it through beauty. As opposed to, look, here's a crucifix in a jar of urine. I'm an artist. Pay me money. Bottom line is, if they're going to survive as artists... I think they should be able to do so without any kind of subsidy. In other words, it shouldn't be coerced funding taken from the taxpayers under coercion. You pay your taxes or else and then distribute it to them. I think they should survive and, yes, even thrive with the free market. If people like their art, if people support what they're doing, I have no problem with an artist becoming seriously rich. I have a friend in southern Utah who, uh, he, he sculpts. 
and and his sculptures are some of the most amazing and 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 thought-provoking works of art that I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if he's a rich man, but he certainly deserves to be. Because he creates such such unique masterpieces. And he doesn't require some government subsidy for people to see the, the beauty in it. It takes him hours, backbreaking work. And he's a perfectionist. But he earns every penny he gets. Anyway, that's the lesson there. I'm going to move on here. So, again, the topic of democracy. Found an article. This was published actually last year. I may have even shared this on the show, but I just want to revisit this briefly and give you a couple of excerpts. Gary M. Gallus had an article about why America's founders didn't want a democracy. Being an election year, we're hearing that word thrown around with abandon. And, well, you know, it's our democracy. Protect our democracy. We have a democracy that's worth standing up for, and Trump was destroying it. Anyway, the American founders did not set out to create a democracy. And in this article, Gary Gallas is uh, talking about a book by Randall Holcomb called Liberty in Peril, which apparently challenges the presumption that liberty and democracy are somehow complementary. And Gallus says, Holcomb gets right to the main point in his book about the role of government. The role of government, as America's founders saw it, was to protect the rights of individuals, and the biggest threat to individual liberty was the government itself. So they designed a government with constitutionally limited powers constrained to carry out only those activities specifically allowed by the Constitution. This book describes how the fundamental principle underlying American government has been transformed from protecting individual liberty to carrying out the will of the people as revealed by a democratic decision-making process. And Gary Gallus says, Holcomb begins by laying out the case that the founders had absolutely no intention of creating a democracy in the sense of a government that would be guided merely by popular opinion, in sharp contrast to current understanding. And what makes the transformation from a central focus on liberty to a central focus on democracy that routinely invades liberty particularly significant is, quote, the powers embodied in America's 21st century democratic government are those that 18th century Americans revolted against to escape. It's a marvelous article. It explores the questions of liberty and, and democracy complementary, consensus versus democracy, plus an in-depth study of the Constitution and the elitist Constitution and America's evolution away from the founding values. Let me just share a quick excerpt here at the very end. In sum, Gary Gallus says, there are many good reasons to recommend the book Liberty in Peril. In it, Randall Holcomb provides not just powerful ins- a powerful and insightful look into crucial aspects of America's evolution away from the principles of revolution that created it, but also an important warning. That warning being, unfortunately, many Americans do not appear to fully understand these dangers as they continue to push the foundations of their government away from liberty and toward democracy. Now, I understand fully how heretical that sounds. That sounds like, you know, burn me at the stake. Mike Lee, by the way, has been really the subject of a lot of, uh, of uh, vitriol and onions. And, I mean, people are just furious. How dare he undermine the foundations of our democracy? But Mike Lee is right. Senator Lee rightly points out, liberty was the goal of the type of government that the founders gave us. That's the type of government they established. 
a limited, confederated, constitutional republic, which I realize is kind of a mouthful. So, we refer to it as having democratic principles in that the people are to participate and their voice can be used to elect representatives who represent them. But public policy is never to be completely guided just on, well, the crowd wants this, let's give it to them. Human nature always needs to be restrained. And I don't mean necessarily by government. I mean government cannot become the instrument by which human nature is agendized and used to plunder this portion of the populace for the benefit of this portion over here. I think you get the point. Okay, one final note here. Um, Again, I don't want to end on a panicky note, but there's an article here from Joseph Mercola that I'm going to share, and this is what to buy now in case of another lockdown. And it's not just the lockdown, it's the, uh, the prospect of unrest as well. He suggests that there are items that you should really make a priority. Among the things he recommends, air purifiers, toilet paper, possibly even a toilet bidet or feminine hygiene projects, products. Rather, He says stock up on meat. He recommends canned Alaskan salmon. Stock up on vitamin C. Stock up on zinc. Stock up on quercetin. That's spelled with a Q, by the way. Vitamin D. These are eight things he highly recommends. The idea is get prepared, not panicked. The idea that panic is contagious, which means the more panic buying that ensues, the more shortages are likely to continue. Look, I've been saying this for some time. I still maintain the window of opportunity for you to be stocked up is getting shorter and smaller. Items have been placed in high demand that uh, that you should probably consider having a few on hand, like, like a little bag of yeast. Do you remember what happened back in uh, March? You couldn't find baking supplies, home exercise equipment, sewing machines, bicycles. As the election gets closer, you're going to see more and more people starting to slip into that panicky mode. Don't be one of them. Quietly and methodically get these things in order right now while that window is still open. This is The Brian Hyde Show.